podcast dedicated to educating the community on the importance of shopping local. What's up, Champaign County? Thank you for joining me for this special episode of the We Spend Local Network podcast. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who tuned in last month and purchased one of our We Give Local shirts. Because of you, we were able to give back over $500 to the Guardian Angel Fund, which is a which is an organization or a, a nonprofit that provides support for children of Champaign County who have unmet needs due to the lack of finances. Thank you for listening and thank you for spending local. I'm super excited to talk to you about our next We Give Local fundraiser, but before I do that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Are you a small business owner that's feeling overwhelmed by the thought of building a website? Stop wasting your time and let the team at Barry Digital Solutions handle your online presence so that you can focus on what you need to do in your business. You will get a team of local experts at your service that can handle websites, social media, email marketing, graphic design, and much, much more. Call Ryan Berry today at 937-404-1050 to get your free consultation or visit their website, BerryDigitalSolutions.com. That's B-E-R-R-Y, DigitalSolutions.com, BerryDigitalSolutions.com. This podcast episode is also brought to you by ChampagneWorks.com. Champagne Works is a community of people that is dedicated to seeing the positive in Champaign County. Visit ChampagneWorks.com forward slash news to stay up to date on all the great things Champaign County has to offer. This month's featured news story is about the Legacy Place Project in Urbana. Work crews will soon begin transforming the long vacant Douglas Hotel in downtown Urbana and the former Urbana North and South Elementary Schools into 51 affordable apartments for senior citizens. This $13 million investment will infuse much needed life back into three of Urbana's historic buildings. Read the full story at ChampagneWorks.com. Again, that's ChampagneWorks.com. All right, before we get started today, I want to encourage you to go check out the We Spend Local merchandise line. We've partnered with LA Design from West Liberty, Ohio, and Strive Clothing Company from Urbana, Ohio, to bring you some of the coolest, most unique, comfortable shirts you'll ever wear, I promise. We have multiple designs that will be on the store at all times, and we have one special design to support our interview guests. Go to WeSpendLocal.com to get one today. As you all know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and because of that, We Spend Local is bringing you multiple episodes this month for the podcast. We had a roundtable discussion with three of Champaign County's breast cancer resources, but before we get into that, I want to give you this interview with breast cancer survivor Erica Berry. Erica was diagnosed with breast cancer in March of 2019. Join me as I sit down with her to discuss her diagnosis, her treatment, her inspirational journey, and everything in between. It's my honor to introduce to you Mrs. Erica Berry. All righty. Well, you ready to go? I am ready. All right. Well, I guess that let's at first let's just go ahead and um, use this opportunity to get to know you. So tell me tell me a little bit about who you are. Okay. So I am Erica Berry um, of West Liberty, Ohio, and uh, just turned 40 in July. It's a big milestone that most people um, don't really care to celebrate. Um, <laughs> I've been happier to make it to 40, honestly. After last year, I was very much looking forward to my birthday. Um, so um, basically, I was... Um, 
working for Berry Digital Solutions. Um, I do a lot of the bookkeeping and project management. Um, I still do that. I was able to do that through my treatments as well. Um, so I was pretty lucky with that aspect. Um, married to Ryan Berry, we have uh, five kids, uh, two little ones, which um, has made things both wonderful, but also complicated some things sometimes, uh, getting through uh, treatment for Ryan. So, um, but that's just a little bit about what I do, my family and yeah, it's incredible. I mean, so I've got three young kids and uh, I know I know how hard that is. And, and to throw on everything that you dealt with, I can't yeah. imagine how you guys got through that. So that's pretty incredible. Well, I mean, it's Ryan. Um, he, he was the rock for the whole family. He held it together. I mean, we had a lot of community support um, that I couldn't be more grateful for that allowed him to be able to focus energy where he needed to. Um, but he literally you know, held us all together for that year. So, so I can't really take credit for that. That's one of the, so tell me a little bit about your diagnosis. So you were, you're, you're 40 now. So you were, did you find out when you were 39 or 38? Yep. It was the spring of um, 19 and I was um, weaning from nursing our, um, our youngest Oliver. And I started to have some pains um, it actually wasn't even in my breast. It was underneath like my rib cage area on my side, really. Um, and it would be like a pain that would make me like, I couldn't keep my eyes open and I would like, my body would tense up. I mean, it was pretty intense. Um, but it didn't last very long. It was a really int- intense short pain and it wasn't very often. And I thought, well, maybe there's like something clogged going on or something from the weaning process. Um, that was at the end of January of, of 19. And um, those little episodes, they called them, they became more and more frequent to a point where I uh, stopped driving. Because if I would have had one of those while I was driving, I couldn't have maintained control of the car. So um, when it got to that point, um, it was it was really time to go to a doctor. So um, I went to actually Mary Rutan and Bell Fountain. Um, went to the emergency room there and um, they did not do a chest CT. I think they may have done just an x-ray or something, but I was misdiagnosed with costochondritis. And that's basically just pain of your chest wall. And the nurse said something there to me that she was kind of questioning. And I just came home and I, I just didn't feel like that was it. My gut was telling me that's not what's going on. You know, um, over the next two days, it got severe. Um, so I went to the Dublin Methodist ER. That was the closest, um, larger hospital. You know, we went to the Dublin Methodist ER where they did do a CT scan and that's where, um, they found uh, a large mass in my breast. Um, and the pain was actually caused, um, the entire area all like underneath my armpit and everything on my side, it was all inflamed. It was pressing on a nerve. So that pain that I was feeling was actually nerve pain. And I don't know if, you know, what nerve pain feels like, but it'll pitch you through the roof. Yeah. And, uh, cause you always hear like, you know, cancer can be the silent killer. It doesn't come with pain and all of that. Um, so mine, mine did. Um, it was causing it in a different way. And I'm actually grateful for that because without that pain, I'm not sure, you know, when I, it would have been discovered when I was diagnosed, then, uh, 
kind of diagnosed in the ER, not really. They said you need to go Monday, blah, blah, blah. Um, so when they finally did the biopsy and all that and got everything back, it was a, a grade three, which is different from a stage. Um, your grade of your tumor is going to be how aggressive it is. Um, and grade three is the most aggressive. So it was a grade three tumor. Um, and I had lymph node involvement already. Um, so I was staged at three B, which um, there's a three A, B, C, and then you're stage four, which is metastatic. Okay. So I am very grateful for that pain. I feel silly that I did not go and have it checked out sooner. Um, I tried to, you know, put it off and say it whereas other things. Um, and so I always tell people and like, listen to your body, you know, um, if you think that there's something wrong, if your gut's telling you, you go and you have that checked out. You know, I think if I wouldn't have gone to Dublin Methodist, if I had gone with uh, Muritan's diagnosis of costochondritis and I didn't go and pursue that, you know, how much farther would it have gone? Um, so that's like, I'm a big advocate. You have to listen to your body. I had just had my annual exam in November of 18. The pain started January of 19. So they did a breast exam in November of 18, just a few months prior and nothing. I mean, there was nothing there that she could feel. And by the time I started chemo, uh, I had multiple tumors and the largest one was about 15 centimeters. So it went from one you can't feel in November to starting chemo in April, and it was 15 centimeters for one tumor, and the others were smaller. So um, it can it can be very aggressive, and it can develop very rapidly. Um, so you just you have to listen to your body. You have to, and be an advocate for yourself and for your body. Did you have any other symptoms at all? Like even looking um, back on it, is there anything? Look else? back, yeah. Looking back in February. Um, I felt a lymph node and kind of one of those things where like, Hmm, that's kind of weird. I'm going to, I'm going to monitor that. You know, I'm not going to freak out, call the doctor. I got a swollen lymph node type thing. I was just like, well, I'm going to kind of monitor this situation. And, um, like a few days later, I couldn't feel it anymore. So I just chalked it up to maybe I was, you know, fighting something off or whatever. Um, looking back, obviously that pain that I was having and the lymph node, I should have connected, but the pain was in my ribs. It was not in my breast, you know? Um, and with the weaning and everything from breastfeeding, I think that masks a lot of what's going on with your body too. You know, I thought if I had a clogged milk duct, well, maybe my lymph nodes were swollen because it was fighting, you know, um, fighting that. So uh, just when you're breastfeeding or you're pregnant in general, all sorts of other things are going on with your body. And so it's really hard to tell, you know, um, you kind of talk everything up to being pregnant or nursing or something like that when you're in that situation. But yes, looking back, I, I can't believe I'm like, I feel foolish, you know, that I didn't make, <laughs> make that connection. But you know, I was 38. I just yeah. had a baby. I'm feeling young. You know, um, it wasn't on my radar. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So. No, hindsight's 2020. And, yeah. but Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's always situations where, you know, something like that happens. You look back, well, I should, I should have done this or I should have done that. But you, in the moment, you just really can't, you know, if you, if, if in the moment, that's how you live your life all the time and you're trying to connect all these dots or just, I mean, I think it'd be kind of a miserable life you'd have to leave. <laughs> yeah. If you were always thinking something was something, yeah, um, right. but I said it before and I'll say it again, though. I am really proud though, that 
Um, I did advocate for myself when I felt like that first diagnosis just wasn't right. It just felt off to me. And so I am really proud of myself that I spoke up. I felt a little dramatic, you know, telling my husband and my mom, like, hey, I don't think this is it. And a couple of days later, you know, needing to go back, it felt over dramatic to me. But at the same time, I thought it was important enough to speak up about it. So uh, that's why I said, just, I encourage people, you got to be your own advocate. Yeah. So you said November, you were, you were, you were tested. And then January, you started having the pain. You said you were diagnosed in March. Is that yes. Right? So I never had a mammogram before because typically mammograms don't start until you're, it's a, it's like 43 now. It's a strange age. You'd think like 40, 45. I think it's 43. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I'd never had a mammogram before. So the, the exam I had in November was just a physical, you know, palpating, you know, to see if there's any lumps there and there was nothing said. Um, the pain started at the end of January, it progressed and I was diagnosed on March 18th. Is that, is that typical that like timeline for women or was, or do you think there was something there in November that just wasn't detected? I think that, I mean, no one can say how long it could have been growing. Um, I certainly don't look back and think that they missed something in November because finding out that it was grade three, um, it is an aggressive, aggressively growing tumor. And so I do think there was probably something there, um, but I was nursing, you know, and so you've got milk ducts, you've got milk, you've got, you know, yeah. um, so I do think that there was probably something there, but probably very small. And I just feel like it just grew very quickly. So you mentioned, you talked a little bit about grades and stages. I'm familiar mm -hmm. with stages because that's been mm -hmm. my experience with my family. Yep. Can, you tell, can you talk a little bit about, and you have already, talk a little bit about the difference between the stage and grades and, and mm -hmm. tell Tell people who may not know what the difference between stages is. Yep. So um, your stage is where it's actually kind of a formula that they use. And uh, I mean, I have books that tell you all about how you could formulate your stage, um, but it typically involves um, the size of your tumor. And they usually take the size of your largest tumor. Um, it involves if there is lymph node involvement. And if there is lymph node involvement, how many lymph nodes are suspected to be involved? Um, obviously, if there's any distance metastasis, um, metastasis, then, you know, you're at a stage four. Um, but they take your tumor, uh, lymph node involvement, involvement, your grade of your tumor. Um, and then they do like a formula. And based on that is how they come up with your stage. So there's, there's actually stage zero, which I didn't even know about. Um, obviously stage zero is going to have the best outcome. Um, even stage one and two now, I think they do have a 1A and a 1B, 2A, 2B. Don't quote me on that. But even stage one and stage two now have very good uh, prognosis. It's not as scary as it used to be. It's come a long way. Um, and then grade three, there's an A, B, and C. I told you about that. And I was B. Um, so the grade of your tumor, though, they don't know until they do the biopsy. Um, and that's when they'll look at it under the microscope and they'll, um, whatever characteristics about your tumor that, that make it grade one, two, and three, one is the least aggressive and then two, and then three is the most aggressive. So that gives them an indication of, um, how quickly it could spread. 
Um, so, and if it's spread outside the cell wall, um, I really don't want to be talking too much science or, or nursing talk or doctor or anything like that, because I don't want to be, I don't want to speak out of my, um, out of my realm here, but, um, I do know that, um, they look at all the characteristics and then that's how they know how aggressive your tumor is and how aggressive the cancer may be. Um, and they look to see in your lymph nodes, if it's come out of the wall of your lymph nodes. Um, so your grade, uh, that's, I wish I could tell you more about the grade, but that's specific to when they biopsy your tumor, the characteristics of your tumor and your stage is more to do with your tumor. And if you have metastasis and if it's local, if it's distance, lymph node involvement, how many lymph nodes, sizes, all that kind of stuff. So, and I, is it fair to say that it, the scale, you know, the higher you go, the worse it is, or the, you know, the. I guess the outcome changes or the likelihood of an, a certain outcome may change. Yes. With grade or stage or both. It's actually both. Yeah. Um, so what people would always say to me, um, Oh, well due to the aggressive nature of your cancer, you know, that type of thing. Um, a lot of that was based on that. It was, uh, it was a grade three. Um, so it, it was, it was very aggressive. Um, and, then you have your stages and doctors don't like to give you statistics because there truly is no, you know, quoted everywhere, but there's no routine cancer, no yeah. routine breast cancer. Everyone's is going to be different. So they don't like to give statistics and that kind of, um, that kind of information, but basically you start at stage zero, one, two, three, and four, zero has your best outcome Four has, has the worst prognosis. Um, but even with stage four, there's campaigns for called, a more for stage four, um, you know, they're still fighting and getting treatments and it's not like it used to be where stage four, well, you know, start saying, you know, goodbye, you know, they, they are coming out with more treatments that allow you, you know, to live much longer with stage four. Um, so I mean, that's kind of exciting, all of the, the research and new things that they can do now. Yeah, that is, that certainly is. Can I, can I ask you, you know, how did you feel when you first received that diagnosis? Oh boy. First thing I said, um, was she said it's 99.9 breast cancer. And that was in, that was before they biopsied it or anything. They had done the mammogram and then they did an ultrasound and the, the radiologist came in and said that. And my first thing I said, I said, but I have five kids. <laughs> like that was the first thing I said. I was like, it was just kind of denial maybe like, no, I'm sorry. You don't understand. I can't have cancer. You know, <laughs> I have five kids that need me. Um, so that's not possible. Um, but I don't know. It was weird. The radiologist got teary. And so then I'm like, Oh my God, is she, am I, am I going to die? <laughs> you know, like why is the radiologist tearing up? Like this is, this is a death sentence, you know, and that's what you think. I think it's like, whether you're stage zero, one, two, three, it doesn't even matter. I think your first thought is, am I going to die? You know, is this it? Um, at least for me, I don't want to say that for most people. Um, so, and then everything went into fast forward, everything. They were shuffling me from room to room. And I was back the next day at 8 AM for two biopsies, shuffled around room to room, change here, put on your row. I mean, and then, uh, the next day they called with the biopsy results. And then the next day I had genetic testing. And then the next day I had an MRI, a bone scan and, um, one other scan that day. And it just felt like 
I can't possibly take in any more information. Like I, I couldn't process it. M- my brain couldn't catch up. My heart certainly wasn't catching up. We hadn't told our kids. We didn't know how to tell our kids. Um, yeah. I mean, basically it was just like you start to shut down. Um, I think it's a coping mechanism because I mean, what else are you going to do? So you just kind of start to shut down. There are some appointments around that time period um, that I don't remember at all. Ryan remembers going to with me and he'll say, oh yeah, so-and-so. I have, I have no memory of it, but I think it's just because I was just overloaded and I couldn't process anymore. So that's how I felt completely overwhelmed, completely. Everything went into fast forward. You mentioned genetic testing. Is this something that, do you have any history of breast cancer in the family? Um, So, um, we don't have history on my dad's side. Um, meaning like I don't have any history to access for health information on that side. Um, my mom's side, my aunt, um, did have breast cancer, um, but she got breast cancer in her sixties and she just celebrated ninth anniversary cancer free, which is amazing. Um, but she got it in her sixties, which is much, much different than getting it in your thirties. Um, I don't know. I don't think she had genetic testing because there wasn't a reason to, um, typically they, if they don't genetic test for some reason, um, they'll say that you have what's called sporadic breast cancer, which most breast cancer I think is sporadic, um, which is literally, you know, what sporadic means. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There could be a family history, but as far as your genetics, um, I went for that testing And it was determined there's a BRCA1 gene and a BRCA2 gene that could show mutations. And my mutation is on my BRCA2 gene. Um, However, it is a significant or a variance of unknown significance is what it's called. I think uh, uh, the US or something like that. My um, mutation on that gene doesn't match other breast cancer patients that have genetic breast cancer. Um, so they don't know what it means. It could mean that I have genetic breast cancer. It could mean absolutely nothing. And it's like just a blip in my genes. So what they do is they take that information and they put it into a huge database. And, um, then as they collect more data and more people have a mutation like mine or not have a mutation like mine, you know, they'll be able to determine if it in fact means something. Now, when it comes to your treatment, though, having a variance of unknown significance complicates things because uh, my surgical oncologist um, treated my case as if I did not have genetic breast cancer um, because surgically, I guess, uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't make a difference for, for that. I'm not sure the reasoning there. My medical oncologist treated it as if it meant something as if it meant basically I had genetic breast cancer. So that was a little confusing, you know, um, I'm more for air on the side of caution. So if it's possible, I have it, then you do everything, you know, please give me everything you got. Um, if that's possible. So, um, so that was a little confusing. Um, but I'm glad I had the doctors I have. I completely trusted them and I trust that they made the right decisions. Um, something just, um, came up though that I didn't talk about. Um, and that is, um, I'll, we'll come back to that. I don't okay. want to get into that. That's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it later. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you started to talk a little bit about the, the treatment process. So I guess I, I think that's a good segue into 
you know, how first, how, how, what's the, the, the time lag between diagnosis and then actually getting into starting treatment? And then what is, what did your treatment consist of? What types of treatment and how long did it last for you? Okay. So then I will go ahead and say what I was going to say, because that kind of starts off this next um, portion here. So then there's lots of things about your cancer that can make your cancer different from someone else's. Basically what's driving your cancer, what's feeding it. There's estrogen positive, um, progesterone positive. um, And then there's something called HER2, um, which could be feeding it. And then there's something called triple negative, which means you've tested negative for estrogen, um, progesterone and HER2. And so you're, you have triple negative breast cancer. Basically they don't, I, I really hope I'm not speaking out of my knowledge base here. Um, but I had estrogen positive. I was 95% estrogen positive, 5% progesterone positive, which I think is more common to be, they call it ERPR positive. Um, I was HER2 negative, which is neither here nor there. It just means I don't have to take a certain medicine that if you're positive, you do. But basically estrogen was a driver of my cancer. So what they want to do is they want to cut off all of your estrogen. Um, because um, I was a grade three and stage three B, um, they did not want to do surgery first. Um, there was a couple different opinions I got about that. One saying it, it doesn't matter the outcome. We just want to see how the chemo or how your tumor reacts to the chemo. That'll give us more information for when we go into surgery and that kind of stuff. So whatever the reason, um, I did not have surgery first, which seems to be more common. Maybe I'm not sure from the people I talked to maybe. Um, so I had chemo first, um, and it was very, very fast. I was diagnosed on March 18th and I think my first chemo was within two weeks. Um, so it was very fast and it's not that fast for everybody. And I can't say why, you know, different doctors, different, uh, hospitals, different cancers. I don't know, but, um, everything in my case was treated as if it, everything has to be rushed now, 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 now. And while that's scary, it's also a lot better than sitting around and waiting for someone to do something or waiting for an answer. You know, um, everyone was very proactive and just hit the floor running. So, um, I had to have four sessions, uh, four treatments of what they call, um, you know, the red devil or the red dragon. It's, terrible. It's a combo of two medications and you have them two weeks apart. And it's very, very, very hard on your system. Very hard. And it can give you heart problems. That's when you start to lose your hair and everything. Um, that was extremely difficult, but that was eight weeks for treatments. And then I started another treatment immediately after that. I had, uh, 12 weeks or 12 treatments of a drug called Taxol, which a lot of people, uh, take, uh, have chemo for their breast cancer. They do Taxol. Um, and then they basically see how your body has responded to it. You know, in between times, they're constantly, you know, feeling around, see, you know, if it were to be growing at all, um, then I would have gone immediately to surgery and just had it removed because he said, that's, we know the chemo is not working if it grows, you know, I had a really good response to chemo. Um, it shrunk a lot. So just to give you an idea of the time frame and how fast it was growing, when I was diagnosed, it was nine centimeters. That was March 18th. And on my day, first day of chemo, it was 15 centimeters. So that's how quickly it was growing. But the chemo work started shrinking it. Um, I had chemo basically from April until the last week in August. Um, I had a month to try to regain strength. 
And then I had a mastectomy and lymph, lymphadectomy, I think I can't say the word lymph node removal. Um, I had that, uh, October 1st, I think, no, October 2nd. So it was about a year ago. Um, then I had some time to heal from that surgery, uh, before radiation, but not much time because they don't want to give anything a chance to start, you know, um, they slipped in a move, a removal of my ovaries. That was a surprise. Um, <laughs> that wasn't planned, but my doctor was like, basically, uh, do you need your ovaries? I'm like, no, I have five kids. I don't need ovaries. So it was like a Monday and he was like, Hey, can you call your OBGYN and see if you can have your ovaries removed before next Tuesday? I was like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, do, do they just do that? Right. Um, and my OBGYN was amazing. He, um, and he did it. It was like that Friday I had my ovaries right. removed. Um, and then I started radiation and I had, uh, 30 sessions, treatments of radiation, basically daily, um, except weekends and holidays. Mm -hmm. And my last radiation treatment was on, um, New Year's Eve of 19 or 19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you just maybe just quickly describe the differences between chemo and radiation? Because I guess just in my mind, they were synonymous. So it sounds like they're different. So can you, can you tell me what the differences yeah, are? Not, not everybody has both. Um, not everybody has all three of the surgery involved too. Like it just depends on, you know, on your cancer. Um, so I got the full, the full treatment. Um, the chemo is given to you through, um, an IV and, um, the medication is, I mean, it's basically like putting poisons into your body, you know, that are hopefully going to target your cancer cells and start to kill them. Um, but it also can't recognize some of your good cells. So that's why you end up, you know, losing your hair, eyebrows, eyelashes. I mean, you lose like all your body hair, arm hair, everything, or you can. Um, but, uh, it's such, I mean, it's strong, it's strong stuff. Like I tried not to think about what I was actually putting into my body, you know? And, um, cause that, that can really get in your head you know, it really can. So I really tried hard not to think too much about that. And there were lots of bumps of, along the way with chemo. Um, I was allergic to one and I had a severe allergic reaction. And I mean, there was, there was stuff like that, but the chemo is given, um, I actually have a port, which is like right up here. Um, and so that's so they don't go in through your arm and use your veins all the time. Cause then your veins could eventually collapse. So they give you a port up here. Also one of them, if it, if it spills out onto your skin, it can cause skin ne necrosis. So literally your arm, <laughs> well, skin on your arm. Die. So they do it through a port up here in your chest. And, um, and that's the chemo. And that's pretty much the hardest part, I think, um, on your body. It's, it's extreme. I mean, that's the one that puts you down, makes you sick. Um, that was, that was really rough. And coming out of chemo, I just thought whatever happens with surgery, I made it through chemo. I can do anything, honestly. Like that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And there were days I thought I, I you know, it, I wasn't going to see the end, you know? So I made it through that. And then, uh, radiation actually, it doesn't hurt at all. Um, it's a machine and some people lay on their stomach. I had to lay on my back with my arms like this. Cause they had to radiate all under my arm too, where they removed all the lymph nodes. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason, because how everything was set up and 
where they needed to radiate. I had to do deep breathing, which is I had to hold my breath constantly for about an hour, just constantly breathing and holding my breath as long as I could and exhaling um, for radiation. But you don't feel anything. You lay on the table um, and the radiation does all the work. And then um, and then you're done. You leave and come back the next day. Um, but it's accumulative, makes you very, 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 very tired. Literally, like you feel like the radiation is zapping all of your energy. Uh, I guess my next question would be, is kind of relate, related to the treatment. And, and you talked yeah. a little bit about what, it, how you made it feel. I just didn't know if you could go into a little bit more detail about how those things really, truly do affect you. Does it, is it like physical pain when you're actually, you know, as they're coming into your body or is it more of like a sickness that you kind of get afterwards? Um, well, I'll be the first to say it affects everyone differently. Um, I, I don't like to be dramatic. I feel like I was hit kind of hard compared to some other people I've talked to, you know, um, but different, different drugs, different systems, all of that. Um, you feel nothing when you're actually getting the chemo. So I thought it was going to be kind of an immediate thing. They do give you, um, pre-meds when you're getting the, before you get your chemo medicine, they give you pre-meds. Um, to try to keep you from being nauseous, keep you from vomiting. Um, some other ones I'm trying to think, uh, he's Benadryl. How many have been for nausea? I don't, they give lots of pre-meds. It's kind of like a cocktail <laughs> and, um, and that's what you feel the effects from. So you can feel kind of loopy or tired or something like that. Um, by the time I was on my way home from chemo, I would be pretty much asleep in the car all the way home and then kind of walk in the house, walk straight to my bed. Um, and I probably wouldn't really get out of bed until the next day. And then what's funny is that all those pre-meds that they give you, um, they're to try to keep you from getting sick, but they only last so long. So it was really ironic. Tuesday, the day after I had chemo was my best day of the week. I still had all those pre-meds in my system. All the sleepy ones had worn off, you know, and then they give you some other ones that you take throughout the week too. Um, but Tuesday was my best day. So anything I needed to get done, I scheduled on a Tuesday because I would know by Wednesday afternoon, I would be in bed and not be out until probably Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, it's intense. Um, your whole body aches, probably like worse than any flu you've ever had. All of your joints ache. Um, I was very, 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 very nauseous. Um, ridiculously nauseous. They tried every medication they could to, to get my nausea under control. And it just, it never did. It felt very similar to morning sickness. Um, and women will be able to understand that is that it's just constant. Um, but so that was really bad. Um, on top of it, it, it throws you into menopause. So you, now you start to have menopause symptoms that you're not expecting at 38, right? So you're having hot flashes and like, you know, like forget a wig. I, I never could have done a wig. I wore those caps. I would be ripping my cap off and I would have, um, one of my friends gave me a fan, you know, and I'd be fanning myself. One person gave me a mister. Um, and it's just constant, constant, constant hot flashes. You also get insomnia from going into menopause, um, being forced into it. The chemo, uh, shuts down, you know, all that production. So, um, so then you're tired, you're sick and you can't sleep and, you, <laughs> and you're sweating all night long, you know? Um, it was tough. It was, it was really tough. I wouldn't 
I mean, I wouldn't talk to any cancer um, patient or anyone who's diagnosed and say that that chemo is going to be easy. I say, I hope that it will be easy for you. I pray it will be easy for you because it's not that terrible for everyone for whatever reason. It's pretty bad. So So that's the feeling. Um, from chemo. I mean, actually I probably never could put into to words really the feeling, but that's, that's pretty close. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Uh, you, you did mention, uh, there, there was times during, during the chemo portion of it where you, you didn't know if you're, you know, how you're going to get through or if you're going to get through, talk a little bit about your support network at, at the beginning. You did a little bit with Ryan, but, um, oh is it is it has been like i'm I'm not gonna cry (laughs) um but there's that song by lauren daigle um and um she says um okay says i will send out an army to find you in the middle of your darkest night And, um, that is how I truly felt. I was not a super spiritual person before I got cancer. And I can't say that, you know, I'm, I've changed huge ways with that, but I did start to believe more and more. And I would feel things in my heart that, you know, we were so incredibly blessed by our community, by our family, my own kids, my husband, I mean, Zachary and Zoe were 10. There are 10 year old twins when I was diagnosed and you wouldn't believe these kids finished their school year, got straight A's. They were on the student council. All of this was happening. You know, they stepped up at home, helped with their, their baby brothers. They, uh, Zoe did dishes and Zachary did the laundry. Those were their jobs. I mean, you just wouldn't believe how amazing those kids are, but Ryan obviously is a rock, but you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child, all those things, kind of things. But I feel like, um, without getting too corny, um, that God sent me like this army and it was this community and it was my family and it was my, um, extended family. And that's, <laughs> that's what I truly believe in my heart. And, um, I do, I have, you know, some specific things I want to say at the end, just to thank, you know, specific businesses and things like that, that, um, I mean, we were just so overwhelmed. I never in a million years would have expected anyone to do a thing, not, not a single thing, you know, because I had cancer, I didn't grow up in this area. Um, I, you know, I, I, I lived in Texas, Ryan grew up here, but then moved away. You know, we hadn't been back in the community that long. Um, I had always heard things about, you know, kind of being an outsider. Um, I don't believe a word of that anymore. I mean, this community just surrounded me with love and, um, and I just can't speak enough about it. They were my, they were my army. (laughs) So, I mean, it was meals. It was, um, gift cards, um, for gas, for all of our traveling, um, uh, fundraiser. Um, I want to talk a lot about the ice cream social, maybe, you know, when we're getting towards the end, because that's just incredible. And I want to make sure that I acknowledge all of that. Um, you know, one of the farmers down the road, 
he would come mow. So Ryan didn't have to spend three hours mowing, you know, I mean, just, you know, and I, I am nobody, you know, I don't deserve any of that. And, um, I couldn't be more appreciative of anything in my life than what, um, what this community did for me and my family and the school as well for my kids. What are the, what, what local resources were you able to take advantage of um, mm-hmm. throughout this process? Yes. So um, I tell, I like to tell anybody that, that is newly diagnosed about uh, the Champaign County Cancer Association. Um, they are amazing. My point of contact there is Whitney. Um, hopefully she's still with the organization. Um, but basically they'll reimburse for, you know, your gas expenses, depending on where you're traveling. Um, I know that they'll help out with some bills. If you're having some issues, medication, if you're unable to pay for it, or even if you have insurance and that medication is expensive, they, you know, um, they, they've been incredible and I didn't know anything about them before I was diagnosed. So, um, they're an amazing organization. Um, and then breast friends forever, which ironically I was a part of every October. It's sad. It would have been happening like right now. They usually do fashion to a T in October. And I used to be a part of that as a vendor selling things there. And then we would donate our profits to breast friends forever. Um, and then, you know, ironically you find yourself years later, um, never thinking when you're there that you would be on that other side sitting, you know, and I wasn't able to go because it was just a few days after my surgery. I wasn't able to go to fashion to a tea last year. Um, but they honored me, um, with a donation, um, which was incredible. Um, but they help a lot of people locally. Um, they, um, contacted or they put me in contact with someone that came and helped me do some, some housekeeping when I was unable to after surgery, um, which was, wonderful name is Judy Rains. Um, she probably won't want me to put that out there, but she was incredible. Um, so that organization, um, it's definitely one where I've said, well, when I'm on the other side of this, you know, I want to be one of them, you know, I want to be able to give back and help and do what I can and give rides and support and clean someone's home. I mean, they're really inspirational and, um, they follow through. I mean, they don't just say we're going to help you. They, they actually follow through. They do it. And I recommend anyone with breast cancer to call them Champaign County breast friends forever. Is that so, uh, as, as a part of this month, I've also interviewed um, a couple of those local organizations. So I did interview <laughs> Whitney Denson uh, with the. <laughs> and so that, that interview will be coming coming forth soon as well. I, I was able to interview Kristen Campbell with Breast Friends for Am- Forever. And uh, okay. the other organization is actually the um, champ- or the, just the Cancer Society, uh, the National Cancer Society. Uh, we were able to inter- interview Sarah Morris, who is the community, de- community development director for like the Dayton region. So uh, okay. stay tuned for all of that because that uh, – with those local resources yeah i'm sorry they probably spoke to you know more of what they do i was just grateful and (laughs) but they are great resources in our area was there were there any was there any like obstacles things you didn't expect or you know once you got your bearings straight were there were there other adversities afterwards that uh that you had to um yes like um 
you know, you can put it all out on paper. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. Um, but you have no idea how each person is going to react to any of it. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you're just speaking medically, I'm, I'm speaking more medically, um, as far as, you know, personally, I mean, I was just so grateful for anything and everything that was happening outside, you know, um, at home and everything and all the support we got. So, um, nothing there, but medically, yes, there was a lot. And I think that you have this idea in your head that, all right, doctor says chemo. Okay. I'm going to get through chemo. Okay. Now we've got surgery. I'm going to get through surgery. Okay. Now I've got 30 radiations crossing them off, right? 30 radiations, blue ring the bell celebration. I'm done. And that is not at all. That's not at all. I had, I, I feel like that was like something, you know, I wish somebody would have told me, you know, um, almost like I thought like January, my, you know, New Year's Eve, I rang the bell and I, you know, it's almost like stupidly, I thought January 1st, everything was going to be normal you know? Um, and that's not at all. So then I was like, okay, well I'll take the month of January. I'll relax, build my strength back up. And, you know, February 1st hit the door running. That's not how that went. Um, I got, I mean, I had got an infection from, I had a wound that opened during radiation because there wasn't much time between surgery and radiation and, and it didn't heal properly. Got a wound, the wound got infected. Um, I got a seroma, had to have it drained. Um, I, I had started having some neuropathy on my scalp. So there were brain scans done. I mean, it, it was like one thing after another, they had to play, I had to go back and have a small surgery to place the drain because fluid was collecting again, the drain got infected. Um, then I got lymphedema. <laughs> I mean, I hate to sound like that person, um, but it was really just like, you know, you think I'd be cancer, like this is awesome and I'm done. I'm on the other side. And what I'm realizing is that I'm still trying to get to the other side. I beat it, but it did, it did quite a bit of damage to my body, um, my hormones, my brain. Um, some short-term memory things that go on, um, which they say, you know, about a year and a half to two years that you, you tend to get that back. I just wasn't expecting all of that. You know, um, I do take a daily medication that I will take for 10 years. It's called, um, an astrazole and, um, it is an estrogen blocker and it makes my joints, uh, very, very, very stiff and achy all over. So, um, I often have problems when I've been sitting, I have problems getting up literally kind of hobble, you know, like I'm maybe 40 years older than, than I am. Um, and, and then once I get going, it gets a little smoother, but you know, um, and I'll just, I'll deal with that for the next 10 years. And, um, so I guess it just kind of wasn't like the fairy tale ending celebration party, you know? <laughs> Um, and I have this bracelet that says, um, last year she survived this year she'll live. And, um, I still believe that. And then of course we have it's 2020, 2020. everything <laughs> externally happening. Like I can't even live my life, you know, but I'll get to that. Um, and I'm optimistic. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there it's, it's, you don't, at least I haven't 
I haven't been able to snap my fingers and bounce back the way I wanted to. And that's kind of hard too with the kids. Like I think that they want me to be well because they don't want me to have cancer and I don't, but I think they look at me and they're like, why is she having a problem, you know, walking right now? Um, you know, they don't want the reminder and neither do I, you know, so I feel guilty about that, but we'll deal with it. Yeah. Um, I'm getting ready for another surgery. So well, you, you mentioned 2020, so we'll take a quick foray into, into COVID-19. Well, you know, obviously I'm assuming you're, you're a high risk, yeah. um, high risk for COVID-19. So what, what precautions have you had to take that maybe others haven't? Yeah. Um, that's actually been really tough and I have a lot of guilt over that just because of the way it's affected my family, my kids, you know, um, because we have had to take more precautions, even if we don't really know what the truth is coming from the CDC or whoever, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like, we can't take chances, you know, um, you know, we mask up, you know, I don't, um, I actually don't go very many places that I go on rides a lot, <laughs> a little dog get in the car and go for a ride. Um, but I don't go inside very many places. Um, and I haven't been, uh, Ryan does, the kids don't very much. Um, it's, it's been hard. I feel, I feel really guilty. Um, I do think that we're making the best choices for our family, for our kids. Um, and maybe we would be making these choices, even if I wasn't immune compromised. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe we'd make the same choices, but I do feel bad. Our kids are homeschooling. Um, and uh, I feel guilty about that. Uh, our babies haven't returned to the babysitter. Um, uh, grandparents, mostly we really don't want to, you know, get them sick either. So we usually do like an outside visit, something like that. Um, um, so it's, it's complicated, you know, it, it, it has complicated things more than they would be if I wasn't, um, still immune compromised. I get an infusion every six months. Um, still, um, I just had a biopsy last month on my neck, which came back negative, but I'm still in and out of the, the, the hospital at the Spielman, um, for different things all the time. That's mostly where I go is to the doctor. <laughs> mostly where I go. Yeah. Um, I've been tested for COVID a couple times because of different procedures I've had to have. So I'll have to be tested prior to, and that's not comfortable at all. Um, you know, and running a business that is, um, really built off relationships and, um, being out in the community and seeing small business owners. And, you know, that's, that's how Ryan built this business. Um, he didn't build it sitting, you know, behind a desk in his office. So that's been hard for him, you know, that he obviously has to be more careful, but you know, he tries to zoom and, but he just can't get out the way he wants to. So I feel guilty about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, don't feel, don't feel guilty. I'm sure each and every single one of those people that you mentioned would, you know, ha rather have you here than, than not. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, when you're diagnosed, like it does not just affect you. I'm very realistic about that, that, you know, I was not the only one suffering through my cancer treatments. You know, I mean, my whole family, you know, I don't want to say everyone was suffering, but you know, my, it affects your whole family, your friends, you know, your, your family, um, and in this COVID situation, 
having an immune, someone immune compromised in your home, it's going to affect your whole family, you know? So, but what, what's like an overall message that you would give to somebody who was just diagnosed or if, if, if somebody came to you and, and told you that I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer, what, what advice would you give them? Um, first I would ask them if they had a similar feeling that I had, that everything was moving in fast forward and you couldn't catch up and you couldn't catch a breath. And, you know, I would ask them if they had that similar feeling. Um, because if they do, then I look back and I'm like, okay, well, I should have had someone, I should have tape recorded some of my doctor's appointments. I should have written more down, you know, because I was not processing. It was too much. And, um, and I think that eventually I, I needed to try to catch up and, uh, it was kind of like, I'd missed a lot. Um, uh, the doctors are kind of used to that. I understand, but, um, having someone with you at your appointments to take in what you're unable to, um, and keep that going. Someone who can help communicate with your friends and family, um, because you may not feel like doing that. Um, but having some, I mean, people are going to be constantly wanting to know, you know, and that's amazing, right. Um, that people want to know how you're doing. Um, but having some way that someone else maybe can manage contact for you and keep people updated with whatever you're okay with putting out, you know, don't try to take that on yourself. Um, don't think that you can go to chemo and don't assume, I think that you can go to chemo and keep your full-time job. I think there are some people that know how or have been able to do it. Maybe uh, there's no way in a million years I ever could have done that ever, ever. Um, so, you know, I think people want to be superheroes and do it all. And I would say, let somebody else do it. Your number one job is to fight that cancer, you know, uh, let people help you. That's really hard for a lot of people. Um, we're a really proud family. Um, but people bringing meals, let them, let them bring you meals. Um, let, uh, let them give your kids a ride to practice. I mean, they just, so many different ways that people have offered that in the past I would have said, Oh no, 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 no. It's okay. Cause you know, I don't want to inconvenience you or, you know, and really you need to suck it up and say, Hey, what's going to be best for my kids right now? going to be best for, you know, Ashley to come pick them up and take them to, uh, you know, wherever softball or whatever right now, rather than me probably getting them there late. I probably shouldn't be driving because I'm sick and I'm on medication. You know, I'm just saying like, don't be proud, accept help. Um, I don't know. I mean, those are, I mean, there's just, there's so much. Um, I do wear a necklace every day that I got from my dear friend, Jolene. And it says, um, fight, uh, fight like you're the last monkey trying to get on Noah's Ark. And it just started raining. No, not the last monkey. You're the third monkey <laughs> trying to get on Noah's Ark. Um, and it just started raining and I wear it all the time. And, uh, I, I would read it all the time, first of all, cause it, it makes me laugh. Um, but it's a reminder of, yeah, I mean, keep doing it when you feel like you can't think, you know, do, don't do it for you anymore. Do it for the bait, your baby sitting there, you know, um, it's hard. It's really hard. I am. It's really weird too, because I've had 
four or five people reach out to me, maybe even more than that, saying, hey, my friend was diagnosed or I know someone who was diagnosed. Can I please connect them with you? And I am more than willing. Um, first off, I don't want to overwhelm them. They're already overwhelmed. I think it's very awkward for somebody that doesn't know me or know someone else that's trying to talk to them, but I would encourage them to find someone who's been through it. If it's not me, that's okay. Find somebody who's been through it because they are the only people that are going to be able to begin to understand what you're going through. And it's not your husband's fault. He doesn't understand, you know, it's not your best friend's fault. They're there in all the ways that they can be, but they haven't lived it, you know? And I think it's really important to connect with somebody who's lived it. So well, what question didn't I ask you? There is one thing um, that I wanted to be able to do because I told you things happen. I'm just looking at my phone here for it, but things happen so quickly and you're often when you're in treatment, you're foggy a lot and um, people would bring meals and I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, get out of bed to thank them and stuff like that. And I feel like, I could spend the rest of my life trying to thank all of these people that helped me. And I would still forget and I would feel terrible. I would forget someone. Right. Um, and kind of what we've decided to do is obviously we've, we've tried to say our thank yous, you know, um, we couldn't ever express it enough. Nobody would ever understand how grateful we are. Um, but we've decided that we want to spend the rest of our life paying it forward rather than trying to find every single last person. I mean, there were people who did anonymous things, you know, I'd love to find out who did the anonymous, you know, um, at Christmas time. I just have to tell you this. There was a motorcycle group that, um, that they came and they delivered some Christmas presents. And one of the guys dressed up like Santa and came in our living room. And I mean, like, it was amazing. Like the things that people thought to do for us to bring joy to, to such a hard time. Um, so we have lots of ideas from all these things that people did that are so amazing. We have lots of, of ways that we want to pay it forward, but there was one very large event. Um, it's an annual event in West Liberty and it's called the ice cream social. And, um, the first United Methodist church in West Liberty, um, they're the ones that host the event every year. And I don't even know how many years they've been doing it. Um, and I don't believe they were able to have one this year with COVID. Um, but we were, um, nominated last year, um, to be, uh, the receivers of the, um, benefit the donations for the ice cream social. And we would go to it every year. So we were familiar with it. Um, lots of area churches are actually involved. It's not just the United Methodist church, but they are the sole organizers and, um, it's, it's at their building. Um, but lots of churches get involved. Um, so the people that came out in the community for that event, it was unreal. Um, I mean, people we didn't know, um, people who maybe knew Ryan when he was little, you know, or something like that. Um, I had, I had family come from Cleveland that I didn't know were going to come. Um, it was the most humbling thing to be a part of. Um, we just sat there and just thought there's no way, there's no way that this is for us. You know, we, we, we're not worthy of this. We don't deserve this, but it was, it was the most incredible thing. And so I'm so proud um, 
that we've gone to it in the past. And now that we've been recipients too, like I'm bound and determined that when we are able to have a safe one next year, you know, to, to be out there serving and, um, to be there for the next person that is going to benefit from that fundraiser in our community. It's, it's incredible. Um, so that's the, uh, West Liberty United Methodist church there in, um, West Liberty. Uh, we attend quest church or we did before COVID. Um, they, um, I can't, I can't speak enough, uh, for what they've done for us. Um, they've provided meal after meal, after meal, after meal, uh, community or not community, but, um, members of the church have organized meals. Um, they've been a great support system. Misty Jones of Jones country store in West, West Liberty. Um, she organized a, um, uh, like a meal train for us. Um, and brought us food and things like that. The meal train was wonderful. I would say that anyone's diagnosed, if someone could help them out with a meal train, people are able to sign up online. Um, and that was really, that was amazing. With Ice Cream Social, I forgot to mention Solomon's Garage in West Liberty and the People's Savings and Loan in West Liberty. Um, they had separate fundraisers that week of the Ice Cream Social and it was for us and they donated that to the Ice Cream Social for us but they did their own. And that was, I mean, that was, I mean, you know, you hear your name on the radio that this is dear, a benefit for you. And you don't even, you don't even, it's kind of like, it's kind of like cancer. You don't even know how to process that. Like, is this real life? Like, why is this happening to us? You know, um, that we, we were so blessed, um, and we couldn't thank people enough. Um, I have just a quick list here. I want to make sure I can't thank every single person, um, but I was trying to make sure uh, ice cream social, um, the West Liberty Business Association, um, they helped us out several times um, with some gift cards for gas. Um, they checked in on us. I appreciated that so much. Oak Grove Mennonite Church, um, the, the women's prayer group there. Um, they are awesome. They provided some meals and they always checked in on me too. Um, the general store, which was in West Liberty. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, but, uh, she would deliver flowers just randomly, um, which was always a nice pick me up. Um, the school West Liberty Salem schools, um, the teachers, the counselor there, um, uh, Mr. Westfall, Kim Lichty, um, Mr. Holler, they were in elementary school, obviously. Uh, they did an amazing job making sure that my well, my kids, our kids were okay. Um, they're in school and, uh, they did a darn good job, you know, cause they made it through the rest of the fourth grade year and they made it through their fifth grade year, um, going through all of this, um, Selman insurance in Urbana, Selman insurance group. They did a fundraiser for us as well. Um, that if you, uh, requested a quote, you know, they would give uh, a percentage or a dollar amount, um, and we were honored with that check recently, actually, um, because of COVID, it was held up and we couldn't have been more appreciative for that. Um, Ella Designs in West Liberty, um, they sent some things, um, some gift certificates and um, one for house cleaning, which couldn't be more appreciated. Uh, you have no energy to clean your house, nor does your husband, nor do your kids, you know. Uh, I know that's a lot. I know that is. Um, and there were so many of the kids, you know, friends, parents and our families, moms and dads, and um, we're just, we, 
I don't know how we would have fared through it without all of those people. So, um, I mean, they're, like I said, God sent an army and, and we made it through. So. That's certainly incredible. Um, and I, I mean, I, I was, it's an inspirational story. I'm sure you're, you're an inspiration to, to a lot of women who are going through this or are going to go through this. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the time out of your day and really kind of like, you know, setting this on the table for, for everybody else. So hopefully this is, this yeah. is a resource for, for people in the future who, who have to deal with this. So I uh, really appreciate you being open and honest and, and forthright. Thank you so much for bringing light to this. I know it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, but anytime, you know, light is is brought to this um, and it could benefit someone else, um, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, and feel free if you ever get any messages or anything from this video, uh, you know, please feel free, share my email if anyone wants to connect, you know, find me on Facebook, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, all I want to do, all I want to do is serve and help. Yeah. Um, what that's what it's inspired me to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and unfortunately this is uh this is a, a disease that I feel so many people are connected to somehow. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like you probably, you know, about anybody you could talk to know somebody mm -hmm. or who has, or has direct experience with this. So, you know, that's, that's been my experience too. my maternal grandmother. Um, you know, she was mm -hmm. diagnosed in 1990, uh, battled it for 19 years in and out of remission. Uh, she passed away in 2009. Uh, with stage four breast cancer. So, you know, it's something that it's near and dear to my heart. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give back however I can and, and raise awareness. And so many great things have happened, you know, in the last 11 years since, since my grandmother passed. Um, and hopefully in another 11 years, yeah, there, there'll be many, mm -hmm. many advancements. And hopefully, you know, one day the goal obviously is is for it to be eradicated or uh, at, least, there, at least there to be. Got to find a cure. Yeah, find a cure. That's right. Well, thank you, Adam. And uh, we spend local. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. This podcast interview was brought to you by Your Hometown Techs. I'll tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I got a, I got a laptop for Christmas from my mother-in-law. And for those of you who don't know me, I have three young kids. My oldest is five. My youngest is one. And after like eight months of having the laptop, I, I sat it on my end table after I was done using it. And I'm assuming that one of my kids got up, climbed up on top of the end table, stepped on the laptop. And when the next time I went to open it up, half of the screen was black and it wasn't working. And I, I had not really ever had good good experience with IT repair and with laptop repair in the past. So I, I put the laptop back in its bag and set it aside, assuming that I'd never use it again. And uh, then I heard about your hometown techs. I, uh, I had heard that they were affiliated with Barry Digital Solutions, so I decided to give uh, Sean at your hometown techs a call. Two days later, literally two days later, I had my laptop back in perfect working order for a fraction of the cost of a new laptop. I'm actually using that same laptop to record this podcast, to edit this podcast right now. If you ever, ever need any help with IT, I highly recommend calling Sean at Your Hometown Techs or visiting their website, yourhometowntechs.com, Y-O-U-R-H-O-M-E-T-O-W-N-T-E-C-H-S.com, yourhometowntechs.com. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Erica Berry. Uh, I certainly enjoyed sitting down and talking with her about her journey. It was certainly an inspirational story. Remember to stay tuned for the upcoming episode of the We Spend Local Network podcast, which will be a roundtable discussion with the Cancer Association of Champaign County, 
Breast Friends Forever of Champaign County and the American Cancer Society. And as always, don't forget to check out our We Give Local shirt. Obviously, this month being Breast Cancer Awareness, the shirt is designed for breast cancer awareness. A portion of all the proceeds will be given back to those organizations that we talked to in our roundtable discussion. Visit WeSpinLocal.com to find your shirt today. Until next time, I'm Adam Moore, and this is the We Spin Local Network podcast. 